It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Fast Talk. Street Talk. Talk Radio. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on another day of war in Ukraine and another day of emergency on the Polish borders as hundreds of thousands of people swarm into the European Union seeking shelter from the storm. As Vladimir Putin continues to accelerate the rhetoric about nuclear weapons in response to what he calls NATO aggression, the West continues to swear allegiance to democracy from afar, praising the Ukraine resistance and pledging more and more assistance by the back door. This morning, we are watching on day five of the Russian invasion of a European sovereign territory. Over the weekend, there were pleas for help, uh, for military backing and for economic sanctions against the Kremlin, all of which appear to be happening. It is a bit difficult to know precisely what is going on on the ground. We will try and explain that to you as uh, the show goes over the course of the next three hours. But the question is, how much is enough? And when will all the actions that we are taking actually have any kind of effect? Putin at the moment still appears to be doing what he wants. And if it wasn't for the resistance and the brave people of Ukraine, um, he would have overrun the place. So far, that hasn't happened. And as for the London-based oligarchs, we were apparently powerless to stop them from operating like mafia chiefs with unlimited resources. All over the weekend, I heard stories of how they can afford the best lawyers in the land. Therefore, nobody can really touch them. 03444991000. Up first this morning, we're going live to Kiev to speak to former Ukrainian Foreign Minister Andriy Zagorodnyuk uh, for the latest from the hot zone. And Peter Hitchens is here too with his take on why Russia isn't the real enemy. Kim Sengupta, defence correspondent of The Independent, joins us live from the front line of the resistance movement too. And we'll be going live to the Polish border to count just how large the exodus is into the EU. And how we're going to deal with that, we shall see. Uh, there were some Labour MPs making noises over the weekend that we need to just allow anyone from the Ukraine to come here. That may not be as simple as it sounds. Also, Rob Clark is going to be talking to us about the defence condition and what it is that our armed forces should be doing, could do and might do over the course of the next few weeks. 0344-499-1000. As ever, of course, we need to hear from you. What are you seeing? What are you hearing? And what do you think we should be doing that we're not doing? You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course... Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. 
Let's go live now to uh, Ukraine. We're going to speak to the former Ukrainian Defence Minister, Andrei Zagorodnuk. Uh, he doesn't want to tell us exactly where he is, but that's fine. Uh, we are, of course, on the side of those people who are resisting the Russian uh, armed, uh, uh, armed insurrection. Uh, the people who we are on the side of are very clearly uh, wearing the Ukrainian colours. Let's talk to Andrei now. Andrei, very good morning to you. Good morning. Good Thank morning. You. Thank Do you hear me well? Yes, I yeah? can. Thank you very much okay. indeed right. for joining us. Tell us um, how the situation is today, because with each day that passes, um, it seems that the Ukrainian resistance gains strength. Um, it seems that the Russians are finding it tougher than they thought it was going to be to overrun the country. Uh, what can you tell us? Yeah, much tougher than they thought. They thought that Ukraine uh, will collapse within the next uh, couple of days after the start of the invasion. And obviously that didn't happen. They couldn't take any large city. They do control several small towns, uh, which we simply didn't get uh, yet our hands to uh, because our resources are obviously limited. Um, and But this is just a matter of time. A toughest situation, of course, is in uh, on the south right now, where they try to capture a city called Mariupol. It's on the on the coast of the Azov Sea, mm-hmm. and uh, they would they're trying to establish the um, connection between Mariupol and uh, uh, and the uh, uh, and the Crimea. So essentially, this is like a land bridge uh, between Mariupol and Crimea, uh, and uh, that is that that area is is the toughest uh, right now. Um, regarding the Kiev, uh, Kiev, they tried to capture for, for 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 all these days including this tonight there were some attempts to get into kiev by what is called sabotage groups basically it's a small groups of spetsnaz who were trying to get in but uh, but unsuccessfully so kiev is uh, currently stable that's good and as far as the weaponry which uh, the russians are bringing to the table and the, the weaponry that you guys have is that a, a fair fight right now or not uh, it's interesting because what they're bringing, they're bringing uh, a large amount, a very, very large amount of conventional weapons, such as uh, tanks and BTRs and, uh, and artillery units and so on. There is nothing really, uh, really super, you know, modern there, but they're large numbers. So they're just coming uh, all the time. They use Chernobyl station, weirdly, as the entry point to Ukraine mm-hmm. because it measure, it uh, it connects to Belarus as well. And they uh, uh, they just... At night and day, there are trucks coming and uh, tanks coming and BTRs coming all the time. So we're talking about large numbers. But um, but then they use uh, planes, of course, and the fighter jets and the, and the artillery. Uh, sorry, and the, the combat aviation. And they use uh, missiles a lot. So on missiles, we have a real kind of a trouble because they are... Uh, they're bombing our cities and uh, often they bomb even uh, civilian buildings and that's uh, very unfortunate because this is uh, this is uh, you know sometimes they they hit few nurseries even and uh, and uh, there there are famous uh, cases when they when they hit residential building just when the people were in yeah um so that we don't have that that amount of of uh, missiles they they do shoot them from belarus and from russia and that uh, and and also they have advantage in navy so they currently control the sea. Right. And as far as the peace but, talks are concerned, we're told... Uh, in terms of anti-tank weapons, we're sorry. doing much better than they are. We have, uh, thankfully, to you... Yeah. No, sorry, I was just going to ask yeah, you... Yeah, please uh, go ahead. I was going to sure. ask you about the peace talks, um, Andre, because obviously, you know, the next 24 hours we are being told is crucial. Um, how much faith do you have in those peace talks? How much um, faith do you have... Uh, in the Russians being honest about what they are going to try and uh, talk to you about? 
Uh, there is nothing honest in what Ru- Russian government is doing right now, so there is uh, zero uh, expectations on honesty. Uh, the only reason they may go for the real talks is because they are desperate and they run out of chances. Right. So they need to save face somehow, and basically that's the only reason. Now, the situation is like, do we have face? Do we have hope? Honestly, that's not what in defense people, not, not the concepts which people in defense using. So... Uh, we will see what the situation is. We are preparing for the worst. We are understanding the uh, conditions we're in. If if talks are ending up with something constructive, that's fine. But constructive needs to be a total uh, de-escalation and uh, 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 a complete, like, uh, um, you know, all the troops should go. Uh, and if uh, if that happens, uh, fine. We we're ready to talk, uh, but uh, we don't have any any hopes. Let's put it this way. We we're not expecting. We're not relying on hope. Let's put it this way. We're relying on what 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 strengths do we have to resist? Yes, and I think you have plenty of strengths. Uh, it would seem to resist. I know this is probably not an easy question to answer, but the West and certainly Britain is supposedly helping out with weapons, whether it's small small arms or whether it's um, you know larger uh, pieces of ammunition uh, and, and, and larger sort of pieces of machinery. Uh, that seems to be working, I think. Uh, can you say whether that is working? Yeah, we are very, very grateful to our key partners, the United States and particularly United Kingdom, because you are provided weapons which, can, which were game changers in all this situation. And uh, we know that Ben Wallace, who is your State Secretary for Defense, was extremely proactive in the months before the invasion, yeah. because obviously we expected it already by that time. And uh, they, 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 you stuffed us with a lot of valuable, particularly anti-tank and lower type weapons, which are extremely effective. And essentially, they made the whole thing for Russia unbearable. So, so yeah, they are very effective. We're grateful. And we know that these supplies will are continuing because, of course, they are like expendables. Yes. Um, Hopefully that answers your question. Yes, it does. And, and and I think it will also make a lot of people in this country happier because we would like to see more support uh, coming to Ukraine. And some people would like to see the government doing more. Yeah. But, if, but if we know they are doing that, then I think that will yeah. make people happy. UK participation was a game changer in this whole in this whole uh, operation. OK, I can tell this absolutely clearly. Well, that's very, very uh, heartening to hear. So when people say the next 24 hours is crucial, what does that mean to you? It means that Russia runs out of time. They are losing momentum. They lost momentum and uh, they are losing the uh, initiative completely. So, as I said, they control only several towns, which uh, kicking them out of there is just a matter of uh, finding resources and bringing them there. Um, they cannot achieve any substantial strategic advantage. They cannot They cannot take any substantial city. They attempted like day and night to take Kiev and failed. And so right now they're completely running out of time and the amount of dead, uh, so killed Russian soldiers is staggering. It's over 1,000 a day. And this is only what we could document. Uh, this is only what we could record. So, um, so and, and a lot of loss of, loss of equipment, uh, fighter jets and so on and so on. So, uh, so they need to kind of come up with something because time works against them and we're just, just losing you slightly there, Andre. We'll try and get a better line back for you there. Um, the, the situation, it would seem, is 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 um, quite hopeful, really, for Ukraine at this moment, yes? Yeah. Uh, currently, yes. Yeah, absolutely. And as far as um, 
your president is concerned. Um, he has come out of this looking like a sort of modern day hero. He looks like a superhero in some ways. Um, what do you make of his performance so far? Well, people, he has 91% of support among Ukrainian population, according to yesterday's uh, poll. This is biggest than ever happened to any politician I know. So, uh, so essentially, yes, of course, in the time of need, people want to congregate around the president. And he, his posture, basically, the way he behaves right now is extremely resolved. And uh, that what, uh, and he denied to leave Kiev, though there was a, a serious threat of the invasion of Kiev and occupation of Kiev two days ago. Uh, and uh, essentially, he makes all decisions which um, just boosts the, his popularity. Right. Uh, so, yeah, people people like him. Right. Absolutely. And what do you say, Andre, to those who suggest that the Russians came into Ukraine because they wanted to free some people in Ukraine who want to support Russia, who want to be Russian? Is there any truth to that? I think we're. I think we're. I think we've lost Andre there for the moment. Listen, we will come back to Andre if we can. Uh, we'll also be talking to Rob Clark, who's defence. Um, uh, he's he's back, I think. Um, sorry, Andre. Can you hear me? Please go ahead. Yeah, I was yes, just I saying. Can. What yes. what would you say to those who put out the story uh, that basically um, there are people in Ukraine who wish to be Russian, who want to see um, a part of uh, Ukraine annexed for Russia, um, and who want to actually. Be, be part of the Russian Federation. No, he's gone. I'll tell you what we'll do. Uh, we shall go away for a moment. We shall uh, recapture our uh, our uh, various bits and pieces. We'll see what's going on out there. Uh, we'll be talking to Rob Clark. We'll also be going live to Kiev to speak to Kim Sengupta, who's there uh, for The Independent. And we'll find out precisely what is going on on the ground. It certainly seems to me that the Russians are bitten off more than they can chew, which is what we said last week, funnily enough. And it turns out to have been the case. This is Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Fish Bosch Berserk. Full contact, common sense conversation. Lively debate. Now with 0% drift and dither. Always read the label. A roadmap for the future of debate. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We're talking to Andrei Zagorodnuk, former Ukrainian Defence Minister. Andre, we've got you back just for one final question uh, because I wanted to hear it from you. What is it that you would say to those people who claim that the Russians came in because they were asked to come in, uh, that some people in the east of the country actually want to be Russian, they're ethnically Russian, they prefer to be part of the Russian Federation uh, and have a sort of separate ar- arrangement with Russia inside of Ukraine, so they have their own autonomy. What would you say to those people? Uh, well, certainly there are people who, uh, who are, let's, let's put it this way, loyal to Russia, but uh, statistically their numbers are extremely small, and they certainly are not making any policy in Ukraine. I mean, because of the small, Ukraine is a representative democracy, so we have, like, majority, and we have absolute majority, like over 90-plus-plus percent, who are not even considering Ukraine losing any part of its sovereignty. So, um, so no, it's it's uh, like, you know, absolute majority of Ukrainians want to live in an independent country, clearly. Uh, many of them are Russian speakers, many of them are ethnic Russians, many of them are, uh, have mixed families, so, but it's regardless. In terms of the sovereignty and independence, Ukraine is absolutely determined to be independent. 
and which is supported by all observers, including international who are in the country and uh, embassies and international representations and so on. So it's not like my word against Putin's, you know, or or, or his uh, propaganda. It's it's a, it's a well-known fact for any of the international groups which are in Ukraine. Okay. So no, it's just a poor excuse. Essentially, Putin wanted to convert us into colony. Uh, he wanted to limit our allied uh, sovereignty like he did with Belarus. He wanted to extend the empire. Ukrainians didn't want that. He realized that and he said, okay, I'll come with weapons. That was simple as that. Yeah, it seems that way, doesn't it? Andre, listen, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And we'll uh, ho- hopefully uh, speak to you again later in the week. Stay safe uh, where you are, Andre Zagorodnok, former Ukrainian defence minister. Let us now speak, uh, however, to Rob Clark, uh, who is, of course, now uh, with us uh, from the perspective of defence, because Rob, a former serving soldier himself, uh, now um, op- operating as an associate uh, with the Henry Jackson Society Research Fellow at Civitas as well. Rob, a very good morning to you. Morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very well indeed. We haven't spoken for a while, uh, which is unusual, given that there's actually some kind of conflict going on in the western uh, end of the of the Ukraine. Um, what are you making of it all so far? What's your assessment of how long Ukraine can continue to kind of battle back and hold the line, if you like, against the Russian forces? Well, this is it. I mean, Ukraine have put up uh, an incredibly robust defence. Um, it's important to remember, um, really quickly from the offset, this is only day four um of the conflict you know we've only seen 96 hours of this um so i think a lot of people are starting to write off russia almost militarily which i think is a dangerous um uh, mindset to have um there are understandable concerns with um and with that hope that the russian military complex is nowhere near as effective as a lot of uh, analysts had previously thought and we've seen multiple issues of logistical resupply problems um personally uh, from what i've seen um on the ground that you can pull that down to actually Ukrainian tactics. Ukraine, Ukrainian army have actually managed to target the Russian supply lines quite effectively. So we've seen quite uh, a few examples of uh, Russians having to beg, borrow, steal fuel uh, and food um, as they advance. But that's like I say, because the Ukrainians have rather uh, tactically and cleverly knocked out their logistical supply. So Russia have gone in almost in hubris, expecting a very quick um, advance to Kyiv. I think, um, I mean, they got to the gates of Kyiv in about 48 hours, which is impressive from a military perspective, um, and uh, it wasn't completely um, uh, taken by surprise. But uh, as you can imagine, a city of three to five million uh, are going to put up a staunch defence. We've obviously seen the curfews. We've seen civilians being handed out um, small arms um, and, uh, you know, old people and young people alike taken to the streets. So I think we're in for an incredibly bloody week. Uh, and the next 24 hours, as President Zelensky has said, is going to be absolutely crucial to the defence of the country. A lot of people have said, Rob, that the Russians have come up against something they weren't expecting, that it's not been as easy for them as uh, mm. they thought. Ben Wallace, I think, in fact, said on Friday um, that they, the Russians hadn't really achieved any of their military targets at all. Uh, has that changed? Um, well, first of all, to note, from the British military perspective, the, the information campaign has been incredibly uh, incredibly good, incredibly reliable. Uh, in terms of the Russian objectives being met, um, it's hard for a start to ascertain what they even were, uh, apart from uh, to seize Kyiv. Uh, the end state is obviously the collapse of the Ukrainian government uh, and installing a, a pro-Moscow regime. Now, how they get to that stage um, is, uh, is completely up for speculation. In terms of what they've achieved so far, it's important to note that actually the Russian advance in four days um, has been quicker than the, the, the Wehrmacht blitzkrieg of Poland in the same amount of time. When we consider how rapid that was for mm. territorial gain. So the Russians are making significant territorial gains. Ukraine is an enormous country. Um, they've, uh, they've broken through or broken out of Crimea. And it appears this morning they've actually 
managed to cross, crucially, uh, the Nipio River, uh, the Nipio River in the south. Um, now, if they manage to do this, and they're on the west bank of the river, which runs up to Kiev, they can base they can basically surround uh, and cut off the bulk of the Ukrainian forces who are still in the east, um, and that'd be very. That would be a very precarious situation for Ukraine. Hence, I say the next 24 hours are crucial. If Russia can, in effect, rout um, the majority of the, the Ukrainians in the east, um, then that really leaves nothing uh, to protect Kiev from the south, and they have the city surrounded. And like I say, the, uh, the, um, the surrender of, uh, of Kiev is really the end state for this. Yes. I mean, the situation seems to be an interesting one, though, from the point of view that many ordinary people, ordinary citizens are taking up arms. We saw, I know it's very small numbers, but we saw an awful lot of social media activity over the weekend uh, of ordinary people just holding Kalashnikov saying, we're ready. We've seen people walking back a tank, um, uh, making the tank sort of reverse away from a a, a city. We've seen um, uh, Molotov cocktails being thrown at tanks coming in. And we've seen Russian um, military men uh, being killed by civilians. I mean, it's an extraordinary state of affairs, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. In terms of what I think the Russians would have expected, um, I think there's a huge disconnect. And this is there are so many avenues for discussion here in terms of the Russian military complex and how they've uh, handled the last sort of 96 hours. But in terms of what they were expecting, I think there's a huge disconnect between the average Russian soldier, if you like, on the ground, um, like my equivalent from when I was in the army, and the political uh, class obviously ruled by Putin yeah. and the, the disconnect between. I think the Russian army, uh, as, a, as a former serving soldier, I can empathise. Um, you know, they are the, the bad guys in that sense. Um, they've basically been fed um, a load of lies, um, completely uh, brainwashed by the uh, Russian uh, higher echelons in the military and the political class to, to basically undertake Putin's um, horrifically uh, disturbing uh, version of uh, how he wants to see this pan out. Um, so in terms of the Russians, they they've come across this Ukrainian defence that they weren't even told to be expected. Like the, the intelligence picture for the Russians has been cataclysmic and they've been taken completely by surprise. They would have been told they're going into liberate the Ukraine, um, reintegrate the, the Russian, uh, the greater Russia of Ukraine back into their homeland. So they probably went in there thinking that they were the good guys. Yeah. Um, and obviously they aren't. And how robust will that line be inside of the military from Russia's perspective? Well, I mean, would there be an opportunity, for, say, for some of them to go, you know what, this is not what I bought into, this is not what I was expecting, and I actually don't want to do it? Yeah, I mean, I've seen several, um, to be fair, ob- ob- unsubstantiated claims already in reports, um, but I've seen them nonetheless that suggest that there's been actually quite a few Russian desertions. Um, morale within the Russian armed forces uh, is uh, is incredibly low. Uh, morale is hugely important as a as a as a battle winning uh, principle of warfare. The Ukrainians have it in spades, as we can see through their robust defence, um, and and the Russians are starting to run low. So I think really the next few days are crucial for Russia for several reasons. One, strategically to get more ground and uh, and to get to Kiev by the south and cut off the Ukrainians, but also in terms of their own. Um, their own morale and the momentum that that can, that can uh, help with. Um, the, the longer this is protracted against uh, Russia, the worse it will be for Russia in the long term. And really quickly on that note, the, the worrying thing is uh, the more frustrated Putin will get and the Russian military will probably resort to much more destructive tactics that so far we've not really uh, seen. And just for your own, from your own point of view, Rob, what goes on in the Kremlin at the moment? Is there, is there a, a, a feeling that Putin is in the last chance saloon, that if he doesn't make this work, uh, he may have a problem? Are there other people who might step up and do his job? I mean, naturally, uh, reaction from within the Kremlin and within Moscow is quite mooted for understandable reasons for 
uh, Putin's own survival. But I, I, I get the impression from what I've seen over the weekend from people better placed than I, uh, that in fact Putin's getting incredibly more paranoid. The, the, this idea that he's slightly starting to lose his mind over this, he's fixated now um, that this is um, uh, something he must achieve. Mm. Uh, and those closest to him, uh, crucially, both uh, General Gorazimov, who's the chief of staff of the Russian Armed Forces, um, and Sergei Suko, who's the defence minister, um, they increasingly are starting to appear um, to, to, to not really have the confidence um, or to not feel confident in President Putin. Um, and these are the men who, even though they're closest to him, they could be in a position to almost um, form some form of coup uh, in Moscow. There are um, uh, there are uh, musings that this may happen and that this could actually be the end of Putin politically. Um, Personally, I think that would be a great thing, obviously, for, for the Russian people. But it's an, an incredibly delicate and fragile situation for Russia politically, as you can imagine. Yeah, absolutely right. Rob, thanks very much indeed. Rob Clark, research fellow at Civitas there, uh, talking to us about not only the situation on the ground in Ukraine, but also in the Kremlin, which is something we will be exploring throughout the course of the next few days, I'm sure. Uh, because if Vladimir Putin does fail to take control of Ukraine, what does that mean for his future as the leader of the Russian Federation? This is Talk Radio. Accept no substitutes. Listen online. Watch it live on your smart TV. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We are live uh, this morning between the hours of 10 and 1. And, of course, we'll be going live backwards and forwards to Ukraine to get the latest from that particular part of the world uh, where Russia appears to have come up against some resistance they weren't perhaps expecting to be as big uh, and as good as it currently is. There's lots of people fleeing uh, from the western side of Ukraine into Poland. We'll be going to live to the Polish border a little bit later on. But let's go now live to Kiev itself. Kim Sengupta is Defence and Security Editor for the independent. We spoke to him uh, last week as the uh, war got underway. We're into sort of day five, moving into day six. There's peace talks going on supposedly later today. Let's get a flavour of what it's like in the city today with Kim. Kim, a very good morning to you. Morning, mate. Well, Thanks very much indeed here, for uh, for joining us. Tell us um, what's going on where you are today. And last time we spoke, it was quite quiet there, but it's kind of hotted up over the weekend, right? It did, Mike. Um, and we had several nights of quite heavy uh, missile attacks, uh, artillery fire, and then gunfights during the day. It got progressively uh, busy, worse, during the, during the week. Uh, and and uh, Sunday night was, um, last night was a prospect of days. Uh, last night was um, fairly quiet, despite an expected onslaught. There was some shelling this morning, but not a lot. Um, so it, it's five days now, and, and Kiev is standing now. There was uh, 36 hours of curfew, which ended at uh, 8 a.m. this morning. I went out a bit during the curfew when what was going on was they were, the Ukrainian security forces were rounding up what they claimed were uh, fifth columnists and Russian agents. Now, that seems to have ended this morning. Uh, there are lots of roadblocks, uh, quite edgy young Ukrainian soldiers, mm. but very polite, uh, wants to check you out. And, and and a rather strange lull, Mike, after after several days of quite intense fire. Right. And of course, it's very difficult for us to judge it from here because we only see little snippets of, of, of action. We see quite a bit of um, sort of what you might call hand to hand gunfire going on in, in streets, perhaps in, in different cities as well as in your own. Um, 
is there a sense from the public there that they are kind of holding the line, if you like? Well, they are. They are. And um, even people, uh, Mike, you know, who were not uh, supporters of the President Zelensky uh, or, or of the government, you know, they have rallied around. I spent uh, Saturday with the 74-year-old woman and her friends, all about the same age, uh, who showed me how to make a cocktail, a Molotov cocktail. And there they were sitting around a, a table with all the ingredients, right. including the alcohol. So, you know, there, you know, people are pitching in. Now, at the moment, let's bear in mind, the Russians have not used the heavy weaponry. We, we are told that we have got two Russian armies heading this way. We are told that, you know, they're bringing, uh, you know, all kinds of heavy weaponry, including thermobaric missiles. If they choose to use that, Mike, and that's almost unthinkable uh, in, a, in a heavily populated uh, city like like Kiev, then obviously there's going to be, you know, quite severe consequences in terms of, of casualties. Yes. And we're looking at uh, footage at the moment. I don't know if you can see it, Kim, of, of Molotov cocktails basically being stored um, and people making them openly sort of in the street. It's an incredible sight, really, to see this kind of civilian resistance, because obviously a lot of people took the view that they would leave uh, and head to the Polish border. But clearly an awful lot of people are, are going to be willing to stand and fight. And, and many people say to me, you can never beat this kind of um, resistance, really. I think I think the Russians are finding that out. I think, you know, um, they and I, and I suppose many others thought it would be a very, very quick campaign. You know, the sheer scale and scope of their forces, Mike, would be overwhelming. Now, that hasn't happened. They not only have, have they not failed to take Kiev, you know, which is their main prize, you know, they went into Kharkiv yesterday, the, the country's second city, and then got pushed out. Right. Uh, they, they failed to take the, interestingly, the towns in the Donbass, you know, which you would have thought would be the first of all. Right. But they are facing, you know, pretty stiff resistance. And, and you know, maybe, as you know, the peace talks are uh, going on today now. Uh, does it mean the Russians are prepared to compromise, make concessions? Is it smoke and mirrors? We don't know. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to watch. And I mean, if, for example, it stays as it is for the next few days and there's a kind of uneasy calm um, occasionally interrupted by the odd skirmish, I mean, how long do you think the Russians have for uh, uh, the stomach for that kind of engagement? Well, we, 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 well, we you know, I, I always hate to see prisoners of war being paraded um, on, on, on TV in front of the media. Um, it always seems to be rather wrong. But the ones we have seen, you know, they're 18, 19-year-old kids who did seem quite bewildered, mm. uh, you know, uh, unprepared for what had happened, uh, lost literally some of them. Uh, genuinely, well, lost. They got lost and they got, then they got captured by uh, Ukrainian forces. And also their, their supply lines, is it? that's interesting in the sense that up here, you know, they've only come a short way from Belarus. So, you know, they, they, they should be, um, you know, fairly well connected up. But, but further, so the fast country, as you know, Mike, you know, further south, further east, they appear to be having, you know, problems with supply lines. And the other thing worth remembering is that the troops who are here now, north of Kiev, they have been taking part in for two weeks and a bit of, of uh, military exercises in Belarus, yeah. Yeah, and and so a lot of them are simply physically tired almost from you know what we gather from captured uh, captured prisoners, um, but they can replenish of course they can resupply you know they they can wait but um, 
you know, for the time being, you know, things are not going their way. No, quite. And as far as the peace talks are concerned, I'm told we've currently got some live footage of the empty room uh, where these peace talks are supposed to be taking place. Now, whether or not uh, near the Ukraine-Belarus border, this room fills up at some point over the course of the day. Uh, and it's already nearly lunchtime with you, I think. So um, what are you hearing from that side of things and whether those peace talks will actually go ahead? Well, we haven't had anything to say they will not go ahead. This worth bearing in mind, Mike, is this, that <clears throat> excuse me, on the eve of the invasion, uh, President Zelensky tried many times to contact uh, President Putin and his calls were not accepted. Mm. Now, for these talks, the Russians flew into Belarus uh, before the Ukrainians. Uh, they wanted the, uh, the, the talks to be held in Minsk, the capital of Belarus, yeah. and the Ukrainians understandably said no, since Belarusian troops are actually here with Russian troops carrying out the attack. Uh, and, and, and the Ukrainians also insisted that the talks must be unconditional, mm. and the Russians have agreed to that as well. So, you know, I think I think no one, Mike, wants to see this beautiful country destroyed and, and this city destroyed. So I think there's a you know, genuine feeling that there's something um, uh, should come off it. But, you know, we, we, we simply do not know. I mean, we don't know the Russians have been committed uh, so much into this now. Are they prepared to pull back without getting genuine concessions? And also the Ukrainians, you know, having done quite well against the Russians, mm. you know, and, and this sense of unity they have now found which wasn't there in peacetime, by the way, that they're found in wartime. Right. You know, are they are they now prepared to give up? You know, um, I mean, this much? is the thing that doesn't get mentioned very much, does it, at the moment? But, you know, Ukraine was a place where there was quite a bit of civil unrest, where there were people who were not happy with the government because they didn't feel as though it was properly elected and it was properly, you know, uh, put in, uh, if you like, uh, at the behest of the ordinary voters. And so um, has that all kind of gone away for the moment? For the moment, certainly, uh, you know, for the moment, you know, I mean, he's, Zelensky is seen as a, as a wartime leader. Uh, he, um, uh, you know, he has, he has, he has performed, um, you know, creatively, heroically in, in some cases. And when Joe Biden offered him and his family uh, refuge in the U.S., and his response was, you know, I, I want ammunition, I don't want to ride, thus depriving Mr. Biden of his Ashraf Ghani moment in Afghanistan. You know, that also has gone down tremendously well here. Um, and, and let's face it, you know, I mean, if you remember, Mike, when um, Mr. Putin launched the invasion, he warned uh, the West against interfering. Now, of course, the West was never going to put boots in the ground. Ukraine is not in NATO. But the huge amount of, of uh, um, weaponry and ammunition is now coming in, including offensive ones, which mm. the West did not supply before. Uh, and you look at the other people more qualified will obviously talk to you about the sanctions, but you look at the, you know, the crippling effect it was having on, on, on the Russian economy. Um, and you've now begun to see some of the senior oligarchs speaking up against this, um, you know, this adventure as well. So, you know, it, it, you know we'll interesting to see what happens not just in Ukraine out of thought, but in Russia as well. Well, that's right. I mean, uh, we were seeing, obviously, what happened with Roman Abramovich over the weekend. He's taken a step away from running Chelsea. Apparently his daughter, I haven't actually seen it, but his daughter apparently put out a statement on social media saying this is not Russia's war, this is Putin's war, which is quite significant, really. Yes, you did. And, you know, I mean, I, you know, we've got Russian friends, um, you know, who, who say that this is utterly senseless. Uh, you know, they're worried about, you know, what's going to happen to their uh, uh, lives in, in Moscow and, and Petersburg. Uh, and, um, you know, um, 
there's a sense of trepidation there now as well. And if if the losses in, in the Russian military, which are claimed by the Ukrainians, continue, then that's going to be another uh, added pressure point for, for Mr. Putin and, and, his, and his government. Yeah, absolutely right. Well, listen, Kim, great to talk to you as ever. Thank you very much indeed for the insight. Kim Sengupta inside uh, Kiev there, Defence and Security Editor for The Independent, telling us that there is a kind of a lull right now. Uh, the peace talks will uh, supposedly go ahead later on today. At the moment, as you saw, there is an empty room uh, with empty chairs. Uh, no progress being made. But the question really is, if this is to be a settlement, if there is to be a solution to this, what would it be? What could the Russians walk away from this with other than complete and utter humiliation if they don't get what they want? Surely. This is Talk Radio. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quick talk. Fast talk. Street talk. Talk radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Radio you can believe in. Mike Graham. Speaking common sense unto the nation. On talk radio. Good afternoon and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on talk radio. On another day of war in Ukraine, even though... For some people, it doesn't seem to look like war. For some people who are watching on television and watching some of the clips that are going out on social media, they're all saying, it doesn't look much like a war zone. Well, it doesn't always. That's the point. It doesn't always look like abandoned warehouses. It doesn't look uh, like the fall of Saigon. It doesn't always look as though it's a bomb site. Sometimes it does, but sometimes it doesn't, particularly inside of cities. We're going to talk coming up in the next uh, hour to Hamish de Breton Gordon, former British Army colonel, chemical weapons expert, a man who knows a thing or two about what the Russians did in Syria. Uh, and certainly parts of Syria have ended up looking absolutely and utterly wrecked and ruined. However, when you have arm-to-arm, uh, hand-to-hand sort of combat machine gun fire inside of cities... It doesn't always look like there's a war actually going on. But there is one hell of a resistance. We've seen footage today already of an awful lot of Ukrainians unpacking and putting together in boxes lots of Molotov cocktails and been throwing them at tanks. Uh, they've all say, uh, they're also claiming that about a thousand Russian soldiers have been killed. Uh, I find it incredible. There are so many people out there on social media saying, we don't believe that there's something wrong with this. It's all uh, being made up. Well, of course it's not. But we will be bringing you all the uh, events as they happen. There is supposed to be uh, a peace conversation going on on the border of Belarus. That may or may not happen. We've seen footage of an empty room up to now. Uh, Nobody so far is actually sitting in it. Uh, Zelensky and Putin have not agreed on anything. And the question for me really is, what do Russians do next? If the the, uh, casualties are low, uh, if they decide to ramp up the pressure, if they decide they need to take it a bit more by force, we shall see what happens. 0344 499 1000. Tom Hunt's going to join us as well, Conservative MP for Ipswich. We'll find out whether he thinks that the British are doing enough. It would certainly seem as though we are helping the Ukrainian resistance with weapons and also with money, uh, which can't be a bad thing. But we can't stay in this kind of pattern for too long, can we? 0344 499 1000. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. 
the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Don't forget, if you're not watching us now, you can watch us as well as uh, listening to us on the radio because we've got an awful lot of live streams going out there on YouTube. Uh, you can watch us on YouTube or indeed on Talk Radio TV. Just go to the talkradio.tv app. Let's say a very good afternoon to Hamish de Bretton Gordon, uh, former British Army colonel, chemical weapons expert, amongst many other things. Hamish, very good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Mike. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. I mean, a lot of questions really after the first four or five days of what we've been seeing. Many people saying the Russians are trying not to um, uh, create too many actual civilian casualties. I'm not sure if you share that view, but clearly there's more that they could be doing. Um, Will we see them doing more? Well, I think they will, Mike. And as you said, I've seen the Russians that place hand over the last 10 years in Syria and uh, and what they've been doing in, in fighting in, in built-up areas. And that's really what we're coming to now. Um, they, they've made the easy break-in, if you like, with their tanks and their artillery and all, all the wherewithal there. Um, it then starts to get very, very tricky mm. once they get into built-up areas, towns and cities. And if you think in Aleppo, which is a town about a third the size of Kiev in, in Syria, um, it took them four years of conventional fighting, using everything that they had in their armory to break it down. Actually, in the end, they won by using unconventional weapons, white phosphorus, which is an incendiary weapon, basically setting the place on fire, right. like the Nazis did to London in the Blitz, and also chemical weapons. And, uh, you know, actually, once you've used, put so much ordnance uh, on a city and it falls the race to the ground it's very bit difficult to take it. And actually using stuff like chemical weapons, thermobaric weapons and others is the way ahead. However, it's incredibly destructive. It's completely indiscriminate. And that unfortunately is where the civil civilian casualties uh, come from. We've seen 800,000 civilians killed in the war in Syria. Mm. And, you know, God forbid we get anywhere near that in Ukraine. No, of course. Do you see any differences in the fighting force that Russia's put into Ukraine compared to the one that went into Syria? We're told that the ones currently operating in uh, in, in Ukraine are quite young, quite inexperienced, possibly conscripted, um, maybe not perhaps as, as experienced as those who were in Syria. Well, absolutely. They The Russians have, have relied very much on conventional forces, you know, tanks, thousands and thousands of tanks and artillery. Um, and quite interesting, I mean, they have regrouped and redeveloped their um, armoured, their tank capability over the last 10 years with all the money they've got from oil. Conversely, of course, we in the West and in this country have, have pretty much got rid of our heavy metal, as it were, yeah. relying on cyber and high tech uh, and space. But actually, you know, a 70-ton tank is pretty simple and you, you can't stop it but with any fancy electrics. Um, in Syria, um, it's certainly that the Russians use very much their special forces and also, of course, use proxy forces of the Iranians, but, but also some fairly sophisticated um, uh, elements to aircraft. Uh, and as I've said, you know, also using things like white phosphorus to set the place on fire yeah. um, and other weapons. I'm not, I'm not suggesting the Russians actually use chemical weapons in Syria, but their allies, the Syrian regime, certainly did. And that was horrific. In fact, after four years of fighting, 15 days of using chemical weapons broke the siege of Aleppo. Similar happened in Ghouta the year later. And a six-year siege of Duma was broken again 
by a few days of using chemical weapons. I'm not at all suggesting or expecting to see Russians do that. But when you get into cities, the Russians know all about it. Stalingrad, millions and millions of Russians were killed mm. defending Stalingrad. And uh, Kiev is not heavily different from Stalingrad. And if we get into a Tosto battle, you know, it could take a heck of a long time. Yes. Well, this is kind of casualties too. Yeah, I mean, this is what I was kind of trying to explain to people who, I mean, I remember the Bosnian War, the Sarajevo situation, and and even um, Dubrovnik when he was getting fired and shelled by uh, by warships in the Mediterranean. You were looking at it as if if you were in the middle of that, you didn't always think you were in the middle of a war zone because you could walk around the corner and there's a shop open, uh, there's somebody selling water to you. You know, next time you walk around the next corner, there's a shell hitting a building. You know, it doesn't always look like a war zone, does it? Uh, absolutely. It, it's it's not continuous. Um, as I say, some of these sieges take years and years and years. You know, and, and people say that you know they don't see much evidence of a war going on at the moment in in Ukraine. Mm. Rikey, I, I, I can tell them that you know if you're close to it, that there is absolutely you know nothing uh, further from the truth there. But it is. I mean, Ukraine is a massive, massive country, despite the fact that yeah. there are potentially up to two hundred thousand Russians in there and, and of course 200,000 Ukrainian troops defending it it can you know there will be towns and streets that will go days and months without fighting right. uh, but there will be others that will be almost continuously in contact you know it is a very very complex uh, situation to be in very very dangerous and for those civilians on the ground absolutely horrific I mean the you know the, the kids in, in again in Syria we saw the Russians and the Syrian regime not only attacking hospitals, but also attacking schools. Yeah. Um, and people might say, why on earth do they do that? Because um, it's a war crime and it's against every rule of war. But actually, if you destroy hospitals and medics, you break the will of people to resist. Yeah. And, you know, if they start seeing children being killed as well, again, it, it, it completely demoralizes them, which is why, you know, I and everybody else is not suggesting that we should see British boots on the ground and certainly not untrained ones that perhaps some politicians are suggesting. But that moral support, we must absolutely underwrite the Ukrainian yes. people. And I agree we should give them the, the hardware, the wherewithal you know, to fight yes. this onslaught. My understanding is that that is what is indeed happening, which which I think will please a lot of people because I think a lot of people last week thought we weren't really doing much at all. NATO seemed to be pretty toothless. The EU didn't seem to know which way was up. You know, the Americans really don't want to be a part of it either. Um, and yet we were being told from inside Ukraine by a lot of people there, this guy will not stop here. If he gets Ukraine, he'll keep going. Well, absolutely. But I think you're right. I think we are doing a heck of a lot and the fact that i think one of the things that has probably really surprised putin is that the uk you know and the eu are actually working together yeah. i think he'd rather assumed you know after brexit we you know we, we wouldn't we wouldn't touch the rest of them but i think when it comes to military when it comes to you know it's the security then we all work together and pull together yeah. and i'm sure we're doing an awful lot you know in the shadows as well to support the fight. Well, he's obviously listening to the BBC instead of talk radio, because if he'd listened to us, he would have known the real truth about Brexit. And actually, we don't hate the Europeans at all. We actually just don't want to be in the EU. It's that simple. But but talk to me about um, the nuclear threat from yesterday. A lot of people asking the question, why uh, would Putin say something like that, that he was putting nuclear weapons on sort of high alert? I mean, to some extent, they're always on high alert, aren't they? 
Absolutely, absolutely. They're always on highlight. And, you know, if the British submarines out wherever they are at the moment are absolutely on the balls of their feet, I think we would all be very, very surprised. So, again, I I think it is posturing. I think the fact that things are going badly, you know, Putin Putin has an internal battle as well as the external battle. Uh, We've seen on the streets of Moscow and many other cities that it would appear the majority of Russians actually realize that this is complete folly and uh, don't want anything to do with it. But, um, you know, Putin is a dictator. You know, he, he runs the show. He, he doesn't give a fig about collateral damage or civilian casualties. And he will do anything to, uh, for himself to stay in power and, and for him to expand. A lot of people are saying, you know, he wants to, you know, reinvent the Soviet Union, go back to those glory days where, where Russia had parity with the West, as it were. Right. Certainly in the last few years, that, that has not been the case. And he's prepared to throw everything at it. I think, you know, the nuclear issue, and I know people are really, really concerned about it, that um, I think I think we're a long way off that. But having said that, we must call him out. We mu- I'm surprised we haven't called him out for using white phosphorus, which yeah. is a crime against humanity. And I'm, surpri- and I'm surprised that we're not calling him out with some other things. But, you know, I think we, we're all getting behind the wheel now. And, uh, and actually, we, we need the the country to stay with us and stay with the Ukrainians to force home that advantage so we can come to some sort of peace. Yes. And a lot of people have also said, Hamish, that the main kind of force that we can use is to somehow support those in Russia itself, the ones who are going out and demonstrating against this action, the ones who are not interested in in having another Russian empire built or, you know, going back to the glory days of the USSR, the people who perhaps are younger, who want Russia to be part of a modern global sort of you know advance and they don't want to be queuing up for for bread or chicken or whatever it is that they can't get and they'd rather putin forgot about all this i mean is there any sort of power that we can exert there well i I, you know i think the power mike the power of media the power of the stuff that you guys do you know in the past that wasn't heard in russia Mm. and um you know they try and close down you know virtually everything but of course with the way that the communications work now, they can't do that. And, right. you know, there could well be people, you know, sat in Moscow or, or somewhere listening to this at the moment. And uh, the message must be to them is, you know, there, there is another way, there is a better way. I mean, you know, bizarrely hit, hitting the Russians with, you know, banning football matches and stuff yes. like that. I expect that's probably, you know, far has far more resonance than a whole lot of other things because, you know, Russian... Boys and girls are, are the same as same as sure. the boys and girls in this country. They want, I expect, they want a lot of the same things. Um, Russia can't hide it all as they used to under the veil of sort of communism. Um, and yeah, we must get the message across. Yeah. There is a there is a better way forward. There's a different way to live the world. Yes. And living it in a peaceful environment is by far the best. Yes, because I mean, I know it didn't always work out for the best in every single country but the arab spring was very much driven by social media by kind of the 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 events that were going on around the world that that people living in in some countries in the middle east had never heard of you know and suddenly they wanted it suddenly the kids in egypt wanted iphones they wanted the opportunity to have a job they wanted the opportunity to you know to work like everybody else and i think that's a really important thing but but also mike you you raise a very good point about the uh, the arab spring you know, I have been very critical of us not doing anything for Syria because, mm. of course, Syria rose up and the Syrian people, you know, wanted, you know, that democracy. 
Uh, and when they called for our help, we turned them down. Uh, and I think that non-intervention in Syria, actually, the roots of what Putin is doing at the moment, I think, uh, are go back to Damascus, right. you know, August the 21st, 2013, when Assad, under the guy, under the look of Putin, used massive amounts of chemical weapon, mm. killed 1,500 people. And we had no red line, which then evaporated and we did nothing about it. And that emboldened people like Putin and Assad and others. And although, you know, although I was a soldier and I've spent virtually all my life, the last 34 years on the battlefields of the world, you know, I, I've seen it at first hand mm. and it's horrific mm. and I'll do anything to avoid it. And, uh, but just occasionally you, you need to be strong and just occasionally you do need to fight. And I think we should have done in Syria back in 2013. And, and, I'm, and now we must enable the Ukrainians yes. To fight back. And would there come a point, do you think, if they did start using some of that phosphorus and some of those horrible chemical weapons, if they did use those in Ukraine, would that change the West's kind of reaction to it? Well, I, I would hope, I would hope so, but I hope it doesn't come to that. I think that so many people, I, I wrote an article for The Guardian that was published the day that the invasion happened. And I was sort of saying, let's not repeat what we saw in Syria. Right. Uh, and I was a bit late and lots of people were saying, well, what should we do now? Right. It, it's actually what we should have done three or four weeks or months ago. But what we must do now is to prevent anything worse happening in the future. Mm. So it, we must underline to Putin that the use of, of these illegal weapons will elicit um, a very strong response because you know, Putin is this, you know, he, he, he is a brilliant, morbidly brilliant strategist. Yeah. And he gauges that uh, there are an awful lot of things that we in the West won't do, which is why he's got away with so much. And I think, you know, that looking at Germany now, building up his forces, you know, a few weeks ago, the Germans were going to give the Ukrainians 500 helmets yeah. as their contribution to defend against, um, against the Russians which was ridiculous. Right. They have now realized that actually they need to give them hardware to defend against it. Mm. But what we do now will prevent, I think, anything worse happening in the future. Right. And uh, we must absolutely avoid the Russians using any chemical or nuclear weapons and that could, are going to lead to a much wider conflict. And could there come a point, Hamish, finally, where the generals, perhaps, his own generals, lose con confidence in Putin? Yeah, I, 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 I think so. And I'm sure there is an awful lot going on to try and you know, make sure that those people realize exactly what is happening. Because the way that the Russian will run their military, you know, I expect the young boys and girls on the front line, the Russians know absolutely diddly squat about what, what's going on, you know, beyond a few meters of them. Similarly, everything in this in the Russian military is very much stovepiped. Nobody gets to know too much because power, information is power. Mm. So um, everybody knows a little bit, but it's only Putin and probably some very close advisors who know the full picture. And part of our role is to make sure that all those other people do understand mm. what's going on and put the seed of doubt so that those, you know, there are very bright and intelligent people in that Russian military yeah. who hopefully have better morals than some of their leaders who we can start influencing so they can start questioning and make sure that we 
you know, we, we turn away from potential Armageddon. Sure. Hamish, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed for your insight. Hamish de Breton Gordon, former British Army colonel, chemical weapons expert. There were some fascinating insights into the minds uh, of the Russian military, uh, but also with lessons that he says we can learn from what they did in Syria to ensure that they don't do that in Ukraine. And you would hope that there would be some red lines drawn if indeed they did start to use some of those ghastly weapons, which are in fact illegal uh, in any war situation around the world. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.